Good morning. Uh, today we'll be reading from Colossians chapter 1 uh, and verses 28 and 29. And in the uh, Bibles provided there in the chairs, uh, that is on page 983. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning that we can gather together as one church uh, to be able to fellowship with one another and to be able to grow with one another together. Lord, I pray this morning as uh, Pastor Andrew um, presents his message uh, from God's word through this passage, I pray that you would help him to speak the words that you have uh, empowered him to speak, that you would help him to uh, continue to lead us as a church, and I pray that he would be able to follow you. In your name, amen. Thank you, Austin. Uh, this morning is the second sermon out of five where we are seeking to highlight our ministry action plan for 2022 through 2024, highlighting uh, some of the core components of it, some of the initiatives. Uh, hopefully everyone has received the handouts. It's like two or three pages, and it shares some of the initiatives uh, that we have, in particular to, to discipleship. This morning I'm preaching on discipleship. Did you, if you didn't get that handout, can you put your hand up? so that we can make sure that you get those. So one, two, three, four, five. So we need five more of those. Who was handing those out? Do we have five more? There's no more. Josiah, are you printing more? Uh, there's no, there are more. I don't think he's on the equation. Oh, can someone get Josiah keys? <laughs> <coughs> and if, if you guys could just Keep your hands up and they will get that to you. How long can we keep our hands up? <laughs> uh, so this morning is the second sermon, uh, again, related to the ministry action plan. Uh, we presented last week our vision statement, right? Our vision statement is that we have a single aim. We're devoted to this one purpose, and that purpose is to multiply disciples until all of Barry and Allegan County are saturated with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ, right? That's, that's our vision statement that we uh, talked about last week. And this morning, I want to talk about discipleship because at the heart of that vision is multiplying disciples. And so that begs the question, what is a disciple, Right? So we're going to unpack that this morning. What is a disciple? And we're going to unpack that by talking about what's called 3D discipleship. We're going to define disciple. We're going to talk about how we develop disciples. And we're going to talk about deploying disciples. Uh, so that's the outline for this morning. Define disciples, develop disciples, and deploy disciples. And I want you to know that this text this morning, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, uh, that those are verses that are very, very, very special to me, very important to me. If you were to ask me, like I asked you guys that question last week, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What keeps your heart racing? What's that deep burning yes within you? Uh, I would quote to you Colossians 1, 28 and 29. 
Uh, these verses drive me, they keep me focused, they help me keep pressing on when things get hard, they give me vision, uh, they give me energy. Uh, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, I've probably studied those verses more than any other verses. Uh, and if you're hearing this as a warning to possibly a really long sermon coming, you might be right. You might not be either. I don't know. We'll see, what, see what, how, the Lord, how the Lord works. But I love these verses. I love to think on them. I think they have uh, a lot of great teaching for us, especially when it comes to discipleship. Did everyone get that paper? Are we good? Okay. <clears throat> So point number one this morning, we're going to define discipleship. And I want to say right from the beginning, and please, please hear me as I say this, that discipleship is not a program. Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, where Jesus is about to ascend up into heaven and the disciples have gathered around him, Jesus gives what's called the Great Commission, right? And that Great Commission is to make disciples. And here's how you make disciples. As you are going, baptizing, and teaching, right? That's the Great Commission. So the disciples, they didn't hear that and think, oh, that means I need to go take a class, right? Discipleship is not a class. Discipleship is not a program. Discipleship is not an event that you go to. Discipleship is a way of life. Discipleship is not for a limited time. Discipleship is for your whole life. Discipleship isn't just one of the things that a church does. Discipleship is what the church does. Discipleship is not a ministry of the church among many other ministries of the church. Discipleship is the ministry of the church. That's what discipleship is. That's why we retag Sunday school as discipleship hour. We want that front and center. It's about discipleship. That's why Wednesday nights, we call that family and discipleship nights, because we want it about discipleship. What we're doing here with this worship service, it's about discipleship. When we have growth groups, it's about discipleship, and so much more than that. But, but it's, it's not a ministry, it is the ministry. So that word disciple and discipleship, I've used that a few times this morning, and sometimes when I, when I hear people talking about discipleship or that word disciple, what comes to my mind is whatever that guy's name was, was the Princess Bride, right? Inigo Montoya or something like that. And Vizzini keeps using the word. What's the word he keeps using? I just blanked out of my mind. That's terrible. Uh, inconceivable, right? And so Montoya is right. You keep using that word, but I don't think you know what that word means, right? Like so- something like that. And sometimes that's what comes to my mind as I hear uh, people talking about discipleship. <clears throat> Did you know that the word disciple occurs at least 269 times? in the New Testament. That's a lot. That's a lot. The word Christian occurs three times. A Christian and disciple are one and the same. There's not different tiers. There's not your Christian than your disciple. A Christian is a disciple and a disciple is a Christian. But the normal way Scripture speaks about Christians is disciple. And I really like that because you ask anyone today, and oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But if we start talking about disciple, that changes the conversation. It gets people thinking. So the word disciple occurs 269 times in the Bible. It comes from the Greek word mathetes, which just simply means learner or student. A disciple is a learner. What are we learning? 
we're learning about Jesus Christ. And so our verse in Colossians 1, uh, verse 28 says, Him, that's Jesus, Jesus, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the focus of our learning, to become mature in Christ. That's the aim of all that we do, to become mature in Christ. Your, your translation might have the word perfect, to be perfect in Christ. So here is a definition of a disciple, and I can't remember if I put these in your notes or not, but the definition of a disciple is one who is increasingly being transformed in both the doctrine and lifestyle of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is one who is being increasingly, over time, conformed uh, to both the doctrine and lifestyle of Jesus. A disciple is someone who is increasingly thinking and acting like Jesus in every realm of life. Hear from that that discipleship is both information and imitation. Well, that's crucial. Discipleship is both information. We're learning about Jesus from the scriptures, but it also must translate into imitation. And I'm, I'm pausing to slow down there a little bit because, again, I think churches go very wrong here. Often we define discipleship as learning lots and lots and lots of information about Jesus. So I went to a class, and now I have my doctrine. Well, that's good, but that's not discipleship. That's just you went to a class, and now you have lots of information. <laughs> discipleship is putting that information into imitation, it's beginning to act and live and think like Jesus, becoming mature in Jesus, like it says in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. So discipleship, again, is not something that we add to our life when we can fit it in or squeeze it in. It is your life. It is our being. It is our identity. Discipleship is the air we breathe as Christians. Discipleship is being a lifelong learner and imitator of Jesus. And connect that to our mission, right, or our vision, our vision of saturating all of Barry and Elegant County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we going to saturate all of Barry and Elegant County with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, it starts with you and I being saturated with Jesus, right? If you're saturated with Jesus, if you're mature in Christ and being perfected in Christ and increasingly more like Christ, then as you live and move and have your being at your workplace or at your family, at church, or wherever it is that you are, you're saturated with Jesus, then you're saturating the community. That's how that happens. A discipleship begins with repentance from sin. Discipleship begins with recognizing I am a great sinner, I'm not up here because I'm some great guy or some perfect guy. I am a great sinner. I'm really good at it, and I can be really creative at it. To my shame. So discipleship begins there, recognizing your sin, and that sin separates you from the Lord, but then also recognizing that Jesus is an even greater Savior. That's where discipleship starts. To say it more forcefully, discipleship is a call to die. It's a call to die to self, to die to sin, and to be raised to new life in Christ and live an entirely new direction of life after Jesus Christ. And that's the significance of baptism. 
That's what baptism is all about. Baptism is a vivid, powerful picture of new life in Christ, that you have died to sin and been raised to new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, a decisive break with sin and embarking on a new way of life. So are we catching it? Discipleship is a process. It's not an event. It's just as a baby does not stay a baby but grows and matures, so a disciple grows and matures over time as we learn about God and we put it into action. That's discipleship. All of us in this room are at different stages of discipleship, right? If there's a spectrum from born again to just having placed your faith in Christ to when the Lord returns, we're all somewhere in that spectrum, right? We're all at different levels of maturity in our walk with the Lord. Now, the goal of discipleship is exactly what it says in verse 28, that you become mature in Christ. To say it another way, uh, the maturity, what does maturity look like? It looks exactly like Jesus himself. And in your notes, and I'm going to hit these quick, uh, I have uh, just some seed thoughts in there I hope to kind of plant in your mind. And I want you to hopefully pray about them and think about them throughout the week. Talk about them in your growth groups. Uh, but in, in the notes, I have just a few thoughts on what does it mean to be a mature disciple? What does it mean to look or act or think like Jesus Christ? So the first one is you have a transformed mind. A transformed mind that believes what Jesus believed. A transformed mind that thinks how Jesus thinks, which is astounding that we can even do that, but we can by his word and his spirit. The greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What's a mature disciple of Christ look like? They're transformed in their thinking. They're also transformed in their character. That's the second one. Transformed in character. A mature disciple lives the way Jesus lived. How did Jesus live? Read through the Gospels and you see a man who lived a life of humility. He lived a life of compassion. He lived a life of everyone's favorite words, submission. Uh, he lived a life of sacrifice. The third one is transformed relationships. And again, I wish... Honestly, each one of these deserves a whole sermon. I wish I could unpack these more. But the third one is transformed relationships. A mature disciple loves others as Jesus loved us. That's John 13, 34 and 35, where Jesus says this new commandment is to love one another as I have loved you. So how do you know you're growing in Christ? Well, your relationships are increasingly more like those of Jesus Christ. The fourth one is you have transformed habits. It's fascinating to read in Luke that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. So we also must increase in wisdom and stature. We must grow and learn. We must have transformed habits. And also transform service. We begin to minister others to others as Jesus ministered to us. Remember Mark 10.45? I came not to be served, but to serve and how did he serve by laying down his life as a ransom for many that's mark 10:45 transform relationship with jesus christ maturity in christ is you begin to serve others you're mindful of others the last one i'm sure there's more we could say but for this morning the last one is transformed influence jesus was constantly influencing others towards 
Christ-likeness. He, he led, and we as followers of Christ follow his leadership, but we also seek to lead those around us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I hope you're seeing it. I hope it's kind of sinking in. And maturity in Christ means your whole being, everything that makes you, you, your heart, your hands, your heads, your relationships, your dreams, your, your thinking, anything and everything that makes you, you, it is over time being increasingly conformed to the doctrine and lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual maturity is thinking like Christ, living like Christ, walking like Christ, talking like Christ, loving like Christ, right? Just, that, that list just keeps, keeps going, right? So that is what we mean when we say multiply disciples. Our goal is not what has been referred to over the years as ABC Church. ABC Church is a church that measures three things. Attendance, buildings, what's the C? Cash. Right? A lot of churches measure success by those A, B, C. Attendance, how many people are here, the building, how fancy it is or whatever, how big it is, and C, cash, how big is that budget? And I'm not saying that those things aren't important, but I am saying if those are the ultimate things, you're way off track. And Jesus did not measure discipleship by those A, B, Cs. Discipleship is measured by you increasingly becoming more like Jesus Christ. Now, again, hear me, I'm not mocking or saying church attendance isn't important because it is, but it's not the be-all, end-all. And honestly, if you're here and you're not increasingly more like Jesus Christ, something's wrong, right? Our goal in having services on Sunday or Wednesday night or having growth groups is that you are increasingly more like Jesus Christ in the way you think and the way you act. That's discipleship. That's what it means to be mature in Christ. That's our goal. That is our mission. <clears throat> An illustration that kind of comes to my mind as thinking about maturing in Christ this way is, is this picture in your mind, uh, a building under construction, right? Or maybe renovation, uh, but picture in your mind, maybe there's a wall that needs painting. Uh, maybe there's some drywall that has a, a hole in it, some scuffs in it that needs repairing. Uh, maybe the elect- electrical doesn't quite work right. Maybe the, the, the faucet leaks, whatever. Uh, but you, you're able to look at the house and you can see that it, it's under construction, right? That there's a builder working. That's the idea in our spiritual lives. We are lives under construction, right? We should all have this, this thing we hang over our necks as we look at one another and interact with one another and reminding under construction, right? Not perfect, gonna mess up, right? Has flaws, has weaknesses, has sins. Be patient with me. Be persistent with me, right? Like that's, that's the idea. But we know that we're all under construction, that the Lord Jesus Christ is at work to touch up that paint, to fix that leaky faucet, uh, to grow us in Christ. That's discipleship. And again, that's what we mean by multiplying disciples. We want to multiply brothers and sisters in Christ who are increasingly looking and acting more like Jesus Christ. And rejoice with me that that work will be a finished work. I shared with you a little bit earlier about, I mean, if you look at my own life, I'm far from perfect. I am under construction. It's a mess. But I rejoice in Philippians 1 that says, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. 
So maybe even now, maybe even today, as the Spirit's working in your heart, I, and we use that illustration of growing in Christ, or you're under construction, and the Spirit's poking your heart and, and helping you see, like, this is an area you need to grow. This is an area where you're not very much like Christ. And maybe that can be discouraging, maybe that can be hard to hear, uh, but the great news in all the world is that Jesus, if you're trusting in him, will bring that to completion. He is not going to abandon you. He started that work, he will finish that work. It's such a joy and such a help uh, as, as you look to him in faith. Now, that, what that doesn't mean is that we should just sit back and wait for it to happen either. Discipleship does not happen automatically or accidentally. No, we strive in the strength of Jesus to develop disciples. That's the second D, right? We've defined them. Now, how do we develop them? How do we help our brothers and sisters in Christ grow in Christ-likeness? And I have a, a number of points here. I might have gone a little overboard with a few of the, the minor points under the major points. So, the, so the, first, the first point this morning is proclaiming Jesus far and wide like a preacher. So Colossians 1.28, how do, how do we develop these disciples? Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim. By the way, didn't you love that last song that we sang? I mean, I enjoyed all of them, but that last one in particular, show us Christ, right? Show us Christ. That's, that's what it's about this morning. And I just, I, again, I rejoice that God didn't leave us to come up with our own message and, and try and think of how to get that message out there. No, he gave us a message. That message is Jesus, in Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim. Proclaim means to announce throughout or to proclaim far and wide. Of course that's what we do, right? If, if the goal is maturity in Christ, then we preach Christ. Yes? Right? Of course that's what we preach. Discipleship is only worth doing if Jesus gets the glory. It's all about Him. Why would we bother preaching anything other than Jesus? L look at Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and these were our theme verses uh, for the missions conference last month, but just the preeminence of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ that comes out of these verses. Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, so he's Lord of all creation. Verse 16, by him all things were created, so he's the architect in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrown or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. So he's the builder and for him. So he's the goal, right? Also, verse 17 says, he is before all things. So he's pre-existence. He's no beginning. He's eternal. And in him, all things hold together. So he's, he's the glue of the universe. He sustains all things. That's our Savior. That's who Jesus Christ is. Why would we preach or talk or sing or anything about anyone else? He's the goal. What is more, the, the scriptures teach us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He's the fulfillment of Old Testament hopes. He's the center of scripture. Every page of scripture centers on him. It bears witness to him. Everything the Bible teaches, whether it's theological or historical or practical or poetry, it's meant to show us Christ. And of course, salvation, right? Jesus is the name under heaven by which you must be saved. He and he alone can rescue you from your sin. 
He alone lived a perfect life of obedience, never sinned once. He alone satisfied God's righteous wrath on the cross for our sins. It's all about who? Jesus. It's all about him. No Jesus, no life. And when Jesus saves you, he saves you to the uttermost. As, as we talked about, he finishes what he starts. He, he gives you new life. He, he gives you the spirit. He gives you a new family. So Jesus is the sum of all that we need. Yes, we proclaim as far and wide as we can Jesus Christ. We don't waste our time with anything else. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the law and Moses. Hebrews says he's the captain of our salvation. He's our brother. He's our great high priest. He's the anchor for our soul. Hebrews 12 says he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one to whom alone belongs all glory and honor and praise forever and ever. And so we say with Paul, I have decided to know nothing save this, Jesus Christ, him we proclaim. He is our theme. He is our anthem. We don't sprinkle him in here and there. He is the sum and substance of our life. Colossians 2, 19, if you want to flip to that quickly. Colossians 2, 19 says, we are not and not holding fast to the head, that's Christ, right? From whom... The whole body, that's the church, is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So how does the church grow? How does it develop? It is crucially linked to the head, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. A familiar verse to us where, where Paul writes, Colossians 3, verse 11, that here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but what? Christ is all, and what? In all. We proclaim Christ, amen? We proclaim Christ. Never lose your awe and wonder of who Jesus is. And what he's done, what he is doing, what he promises to do is Jesus. Christless sermons, Christless growth groups, Christless counseling, Christless children's ministry, Christless preaching, it's worthless. It's worthless. Brian Hedges uh, says this. I found this quote uh, this week. He says, if you've left out Christ, there's no manna from heaven no water from the rock, no refuge from the storm, no healing for the sick, no life for the dead. If you leave out Christ, you've left the sun out of the day and the moon out of the night. You've left the waters out of the sea, the floods out of the river. You've left the harvest out of the year, the soul out of the body. You've left joy out of heaven. Yea, you have robbed all of its awe. There is no gospel worth thinking of, much less proclaiming in God's name if Jesus is forgotten. We must have Jesus as the Alpha and Omega in all. We proclaim Christ. That's how we develop disciples who increasingly over time look like Christ and think like Christ by pointing them to Christ, proclaiming him far and wide. It's all about Jesus. 
People need Jesus. If you have Jesus, you don't need anything else. The second way that we develop disciples is we first proclaim him like a preacher. We secondly warn like a prophet. It says in verse 28, him we proclaim warning everyone. So we warn like a prophet. Your translation might say admonish. Uh, might say counsel. Uh, it just depends on how they decide to translate that word. But admonishing is basically helping others towards godliness. It's warning them about danger. It's, it's a loving confrontation that, hey, you keep living your life that way, that leads to this. Turn, right? It's a loving admonition. And I, I want you to think about this because I, I, I know confrontation, admonition, man, that's like everyone's favorite thing to hate in our day and age, right? Uh, but quite frankly, you're not going to grow if there's no confrontation in your life. There is no spiritual growth apart from admonition. I mean, if I, as I look at my own life, my greatest moments of growth are when someone lovingly confronted me and admonished me in the Lord. Admonishing is what God told the prophet Isaiah to do. God told Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1, Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. If you're a mom or dad or, or, or had, had children, younger children in your house, and maybe now they're older, but maybe it doesn't change much there either, uh, but if you're a parent, you know what admonition is. Right? If, if you're a parent you know what it is to warn, right? It's, it, some days it feels like that's all you do, right? Warning and admonishing. If we're gonna make disciples who increasingly are conformed into Christ-likeness, we must warn, we must confront. I really like how one author I read puts it this way. He's, instead of using the word confront, he talks about carefront. And I like that. He's taken the word caring and confrontation and combine them. So instead of confronting, it's carefront. I think that's good because we confront people because we love them and we desire them to grow in godliness. Because we love people, we care front about false teaching, about ungodly living, about the dangers of sin. We care front about God's judgment. The Apostle Paul, he was a great admonisher. First uh, Corinthians 4.14 he says to the church in Corinth, I admonish you as my beloved children. You hear the care there, right? I admonish you as my beloved children. In Acts chapter 20, verse 31, he's, he's admonishing the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he says, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish every one of you with tears. With tears. There's care fronting, right? He's confronting them, he's admonishing them, but how's he doing it? with tears. Admonishing or warning is not done from a position of pride or judgment or I'm better than you. It comes with tears. It comes from deep, brokenhearted love for others and a deep desire to see others be what? Mature in Christ. I want Christ-likeness for your life and therefore I care front, right? That's the idea. That's how we develop as mature followers of Christ. The prophet Jeremiah, he was a weeping prophet and he admonished much. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and I've shared some illustrations there with you about leaders doing that and you might be getting the idea that, well, that's what leaders do, but honestly, that's what we're all supposed to be doing. We're all supposed to be doing that. 
In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Who's Paul talking to? Everyone. We are all to be admonishing one another. It's not just something leaders do. We all are to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Ephesians 4.15 says the same thing. Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love. What's that? That's confronting. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. You see the connection between confronting and growth? This is how we develop mature disciples. We warn them like a prophet with tears in our eyes and desire to see them be more like Jesus Christ. That's not all. Verse 28 in Colossians 1 goes on to say that we teach. So the illustration I thought of there is teaching like a theologian. Uh, We're proclaiming like a preacher. We're warning like a prophet. We're teaching like a theologian. Teaching just is simply the skill of imparting biblical knowledge to others. Our teaching, of course, is centered on the scriptures. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, that we make disciples by teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Again, teaching isn't just something that I do. We're all called to teach one another. Just like we're all called to care front, we're all called to teach. Moms and dads teach their children. The scriptures go on to say that older women should be teaching younger women. Older men should be teaching younger men. Mature believers teaching more immature believers. Warning and teaching with Christ at the center is the normal part of our lives. And just to pause there again, what's the goal of our teaching? It's that they will learn about Jesus and imitate Jesus, right? So the goal in our teaching isn't just sit down, I'm going to talk for 60 minutes and dump information into your head. The goal of teaching is that you will become more like Jesus Christ. That you will adore him, you'll understand him more and adore him more and want to imitate him more and be more like him. Let me say it this way. It's great that you know, let's say I preached a sermon on love and the love of Christ. It's great that you know that Jesus was loving, but how then were you more loving in your home or at your workplace because of that, right? It's great that you know that Jesus suffered how does that help you to suffer? It's great that you know that Jesus prayed. How does that change your prayer life, right? Information and what? Imitation. Acquisition of knowledge and application of knowledge. They go hand in hand. Without both, it's not discipleship. The next one is applying wisdom like a sage. It says, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Wisdom, some people complicate that. Wisdom's real simple. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom is knowing how to navigate life in a Christ-honoring way. Wisdom is the ability to, to take the, 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 what the scriptures say and live it out in everyday life situations. That's, that's what wisdom is. It's, it's wisdom applied. It's knowledge applied. Wisdom is, is, if I can say it this way, wisdom is the so what of the sermon. 
Or it's the so what when you read the scriptures in the morning. Maybe you read John 17 and the so what, right? It's crucial as you read the Bible that you, you have that question, well, so what? what? What does that mean for my life? How should that change uh, the way that I am a father, the way that I'm a husband, or the way that I work and whatever it is, whatever your sphere of life is there? So wisdom is, what do I do now with what I just heard? And again, I think this is where we often struggle and fail. It's not merely reading the Bible. You must read it with the aim of change, of imitation. The next one is caring for souls like a doctor. Uh, in him we proclaim, or him we proclaim, warning, and what, what I want you to catch is the word everyone. Three times, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Everyone. This is the whole church ministry, right? We don't want anyone falling through the cracks. Discipleship is not for the elite. There, there's, there's not, I don't know, sometimes different websites or, or different places you go, there's like, there's silver level, or even maybe bronze level, right? Bronze level, silver level, gold level, then for the really, whatever, the platinum level, right? Maybe there's even something above that. that there's no tears like that in Christianity. There's no tears like that in, in the church. It's all of God's truth for all of God's people. There's no such thing as a lost cause in the church. We want to come alongside everyone and help them develop and mature in Christ. All can and must grow spiritually. Maybe you've, you've heard the story about uh, the little boy who's just fascinated by this turtle. And the little boy, being a boy, tried to get the turtle to come out of his shell, right? Now, how's the boy gonna get the turtle to do that? Well, obviously you find a stick. And you poke, right? You poke, you prod, and the boy continued to poke and prod the turtle and couldn't understand, you know, why won't that turtle come out of its shell? What's what gives? And eventually, his sister, older, more loving, and caring, compassionate, as girls can tend to be, came along, picked up that turtle, was very gentle and kind and caring, and over time, what happens? The turtle comes out of its shell. Now, I share that illustration because a lot of Christians feel like a turtle being poked with a stick. The churches often are not great at caring for others. And lots of times, Christians stay in their shell and they're kind of looking around saying, can I trust you? Can I, can I trust you with, with that disappointment in my life? Can I trust you with that heartache in my life? Can I, can I trust you with what happened in my house the other day, right? That's what a lot of Christians are. They're hiding in that shell and they're asking, they're wondering, can I trust you? And we as a church are supposed to be coming alongside who? Everyone saying, you can trust, you can trust. That's why our discipleship pathway, believe, belong, become, build, but that word belong, right? We aim to be a community of grace, a community of understanding, a community of treating people better than they deserve, a community of looking past faults to give praise and support. Not that we ignore sin or faults, but we want, to, well, we want to create a place where people can feel safe and risk 
opening up. That's the idea. Now, I was going to put on the screen this picture of this craziest looking guy I could find on Google. I Googled and tried to find a guy with like studs coming out of his face and crazy hair and um, I decided not to do that because I didn't want to scare everybody. <laughs> uh, but if you could just kind of picture in your mind the wildest, craziest looking dude, that that's someone we rejoice that they would be here. We want to love them and care for them and point them to Christ. And there's, there's been stories before, I'm sure you've heard about, let's say some guy named John shows up to church and it's a super, super conservative church and John's a hippie and he's not wearing a shirt and he has long hair and has tattoos all over his body and he walks in and the church is so full there's nowhere to sit. So what does he do? He just pulls up some carpet and sits on the carpet. Uh, and everyone's kind of looking at him like, what? And eventually over time, one of the older folks in the church, an 80-year-old guy, one of the, one of the leaders in the church, uh, maybe a deacon or elder or something, he, he gets up and slowly walks over. You know, he's going as fast as he can, but he slowly walks over and everyone's like, oh, geez, here he comes. But what he does is he pulls up some carpet next to him and sits down right next to him. That's what I mean by caring like a doctor. Uh, loving and serving everyone. No one falling through the cracks just because of how they look. That's discipleship in action. Well, we also toil and agonize like an athlete. Because it goes on to say in verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling. The word is agonizomai, so that's where we get the word agonizes. It's agonizing work. It's, it's language of intentional, intense striving like, an, like a, a gold medal athlete. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, our own selves, because you'd become very dear to us. So discipleship is about sharing your soul Sharing your life with others, it's costly, it's messy, it's exhausting. Just go volunteer to teach children church for an hour. And watch, watch them as they come out of there, right? Their hair's frazzled and their, their shirt's probably torn. and <laughs> Mostly because my kids are in there. Um, <clears throat> discipleship is hard. It's costly. It's difficult. It's messy. If you're blessed to have children, uh, parenting is discipling. Amen? You aren't just raising children, you are discipling souls in Christ. And it's exhausting. There are days where you feel like all you do is admonish and teach day in and day out, and it tests the limits of your wisdom and your care and your patience. So discipleship is hard. It's costly, but praise God, it is energized. And this is my worst illustration yet. Like a piece of supernatural dynamite, a stick of supernatural dynamite. Why supernatural dynamite? Let me explain. <clears throat> Verse 29 says, For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So the word powerfully is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. 
But the problem with that illustration is dynamite is just a loud bang and a quick flash and it's gone, right? That's not what that verse is saying. It's not saying like Jesus occasionally comes along and just zaps you with this burst of energy like a can of Red Bull or something like that. It's a supernatural stick of dynamite because it keeps exploding and keeps giving energy. That's, that's the only way I, I, I could think to say that. But, but the idea is as we labor, as we toil, as we agonize in, in helping others become more like Christ, the, the power of Jesus comes alongside us and energizes us, sustains us, keeps us. Apart from Christ, you and I can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Think about it this way. We just read in Colossians 1, 15 through 17 that Jesus sustains the universe, right? So the very same Jesus who sustains the universe is sustaining you as you labor and toil and agonize in helping others become more like Jesus Christ. And this isn't just the only place in Scripture we see this. Again and again and again in the Scriptures, we see this promise of God empowering us. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank him who has given me strength. Ephesians 6.10, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And that's, that's encouraging, isn't it? To know that Jesus strengthens us. And maybe there's, there's some here this morning who are hearing about discipleship and how we develop disciples, and you're like, nope, that's not me. That's not me. I, I'm happy if I get out of the door with socks that match, right? Or I'm, I'm happy with, with, with that kind of stuff. But you're talking about proclaiming and teaching and admonishing and caring, and I can't do that. You know what I say to that is, of course you can't. I can't do that either. Apart from Christ, we can do what? Nothing. But this is the movement of God. This is the will of God. He commands and he enables. If, if you're hearing all this about discipleship, developing and deploying, and your thought is, man, I can't do that, that's a great place to be because that should throw you on God who wants to do this in you and through you. I can tell you from personal experience, there have been countless times where I look at my calendar and I think to myself, there's no way I can do all this. There's no way. But in every situation, I found that as I apply myself to the work, look into Christ, focus on the vision, that he strengthens me and he gets me through it. And I can a month later look back at my calendar and go, I don't have any clue how I got through that. But by the grace and power and strength of God. I think that's super encouraging to think about, especially as we think about our ministry action plan. God's power can strengthen us as we seek to multiply disciples and saturate Barry and Elegant County with the gospel. You might be wondering, how are we going to do that? The way we're going to do that is through God, whose power is off the charts. We're going to believe that God wants to use us to reach the lost and he wants to use us to multiply disciples. And we believe that because that's the movement of God, to make disciples. There is power, unlimited power, immeasurable power to sustain us and keep us and energize us as we develop disciples. Amen? So that leads to the third D, deploy. <clears throat> 
<clears throat> we've defined dif discipleship. Uh, we've talked about how we develop disciples. The last part, deploy. <clears throat> what do I mean by deploy? I mean being sent out for a purpose, being sent out on a mission. What is that mission? The mission for every single one of us who name the name of Christ is to make disciples wherever we can, whenever we can, whoever we can. How do we do that? How do we make disciples? We've talked about that a bit. We can summarize it all by saying this, the same way Jesus did. How did he do it? Through relationships. The fundamental methodology in making disciples is relationships. Discipleship is the emphasis. Relationships are the method. Read the Gospels. As Jesus lived and moved about uh, the people, he built relationships. He loved them. He spoke the truth and love to them. He showed them by example how to follow God. The method of Jesus was life on life. This is the meaning of the Great Commission. And bear with me. I know I've thrown a lot at you this morning, but bear with me. The Great Commission is make disciples, right? And we do that, number one, as you are going. As you are going, you make disciples. As you live life, you make disciples. And I'm going to try and, and illustrate it this way. I, I hope this makes sense. I spent an inordinate amount of time on this and then sent it to Josiah to try and help it. So hopefully it, hopefully it works this morning. But here's how, here's how we do discipleship. Here's what I mean by deploy. Number one is your relationship with Jesus. That you are daily in his word, daily praying, daily serving, seeking to love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's the first relationship, right? That's where it starts. And from there, we have all these different relationships that we kind of live and move and have. So we have relationships in the home, in case you guys can't read that. And the relationships in the home include, I mean, your spouse, your husband, or your wife. It includes your, your brothers and sisters. Uh, it includes um, our children, obviously, being a mother or father. It includes singleness, maybe you're single. Uh, it includes how you do your finances. I mean, that, that's not a complete list, but that's, that's one relationship in which our relationship with Jesus fleshes out, right? And so I'm trying to help you see it starts with your relationship with Jesus. And then that relationship with Jesus changes your relationship in the home. Right? It also changes your relationships in the world. What do I mean by the world? And again, this isn't exhaustive, but I mean your relationship with employee-employer is your workplace. I mean your ethics. Uh, I mean uh, things like hobbies different friends that you have, your school, right? Uh, your neighbors, the community in which you live. Again, the relationship with Jesus is at the center, and that should impact the way you have relationships at, at your workplace and in the world. And the last one is, is the relationships in the church, relationship with God's family, pastors, deacons, different gifts the Lord's giving you, uh, serving you. Uh, that's, that's just... I hope a, an easy way, a simple way to see that this is how we make disciples. It's not something being added onto your life. No, as, as you are centered on Jesus and you have that relationship with Jesus and you're growing in him, that that changes all these other relationships. And so I threw in uh, these other arrows and you'll notice that the arrows go both ways, right? So 
as I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus, that helps me in my relationships in the home. But you know what, my relationship with people in the home, that helps me in my relationship with Jesus. And that works in every sphere of life. And if I could just kind of illustrate it this way, if I'm, if I'm studying God's word, and Dave talked about that this morning, it renews my mind. I now use my renewed mind to love my wife better, to serve my children better, uh, to interact with my boss's orders. I, I now use that renewed mind to inform my tongue that, hey, you shouldn't use that word. Or to inform my mind how to vote or how to watch the news, right? How to evaluate and discern the news or how to talk with my friends at school. So, for, for example, Thursday night, it was a long day. I came home uh, and I was hungry. I hadn't eaten much throughout the day. My wife also had plans. And so we're basically passing and she runs out. I come in as <clears throat> I lose my voice. And within 30, within 30 minutes, my house had lost total control. <laughs> uh, within the space of 30 minutes, uh, one of our children uh, just had a temper tantrum because he or she uh, could not find anything that they were looking for. And then a few minutes after that, uh, one decides to open the front door and let this outside cat in that's not supposed to come in because we have an indoor cat and they do this. So that happens. And then a few minutes after that, as if that wasn't enough, the door gets opened again and our dog, who's not supposed to go outside unless he's chained or she's chained, goes out and is gone. Thankfully, thankfully God's gracious, God, the, the dog comes back. That happens in 30 minutes. <clears throat> That's probably a typical night <laughs> in, in the man Warren household. I, I share that to say, how, how do you think that affected me? And honestly, that drove me up the wall. It was not a, a pretty picture. What it should have done, though, is drove me back to Jesus Christ. And as I looked at Jesus Christ, I would learn patience, and I would learn, thank you, I would learn persistence, and I would learn to apply it in this very real-life situation. Do you, do you see what I, why I'm sharing that? I'm trying to say that was discipleship, right? That was an opportunity for me to mature in Christ. The same scenario can be played out a, a, a hundred different ways. But I, I'm, I'm just trying to labor here for a minute to help you see that, again, the discipleship isn't something you add to your life. Discipleship is your life. It's the air you breathe. As you relate to Jesus through the word and prayer, it naturally bubbles out as you relate to others. And honestly, this is exciting because it gives every moment of every day incredible fulfillment and meaning and purpose. And again, this is how we saturate Barry and Elgin County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not building a huge building that can hold everybody. It's we have that, that, that relationship with Jesus. As we move throughout these different atmospheres or relationships of life, we are saturated with Jesus, and that's rubbing off on others. That's how we saturate the community with the gospel. Let me say it this way, Jesus did not suffer and die on the cross so that we could go to church for a couple of hours and say, that's discipleship. That's not discipleship. Jesus wants it all. Jesus wants your life 
all the time, and he wants to fill every nook and cranny of Barry and Elgin County with his gospel. How through you, in your home and in your family and, and in uh, the world and at the church, he wants every one of us in every place living for Jesus. That's what I mean by deploy. Isn't that exciting? It's incredibly exciting walking with Jesus. Discipleship can happen at any time. Maybe you're painting the side of your house. That's discipleship. Maybe you're cleaning up a yard, raking leaves, or shoveling snow, or whatever that is, right? Playing, playing a board game, or going on a vacation together, eating a meal together, going for a walk. It's all discipleship. Let me say it this way. We don't just need go on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. That's wonderful. But we also go on mission trips to Menards. We go on mission trips to school, right? We go on mission trips to the Orangeville gas stop and to the Dollar General. Those are mission trips. It's not just something you do overseas that a few people do overseas. We all are on mission all the time for Jesus. That's how we saturate Barry and Elgin County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? That's what we mean by define and develop and deploy. And if, again, if that sounds overwhelming, it should. It should drive you to Jesus, who's doing what? Supernaturally empowering you to do it. Which is to say, we can't fail. And even when you do fail and make mistakes, and you repent of that and seek forgiveness, you grow. We can't fail. We can't fail. Isn't that incredible? 